does belong to you. Thank you that we have victory through Jesus Christ, and we have hope and a future uh, because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Thank you for the fact that you want to use us to make a difference in the lives of our family, our friends, those that we work with, and you want to allow the truth and the light of who Jesus Christ is and the victory that's found in him to be shown through us. I pray that you'd help us in the next few moments as we look into your word. I pray that by your spirit, you would touch and speak to our hearts. We'll praise you for what you do in your name. Amen. Welcome. We're glad that you're back with us once again this morning as we worship together. Um, every week when I come in here, I, I'm, I'm just incredibly thankful uh, for a place where we can worship together, a place where we can open the word of God, we can look at what God has to say to us, and uh, it, it's actually fairly nice. Would you agree? Yeah, okay, good, good. Otherwise, you probably would have left by now. No. I want to talk to you this morning about what pride does. And I'm not talking about the pride of self-respect or a job well done or pride in our work, uh, putting the effort into doing something to the best of our ability. Hopefully we've learned some of those lessons or, or we're in the process of learning those lessons of doing our best and putting our best forward. I want to talk to you this morning about pride uh, in terms of conceit or our ego or maybe some vanity or vainglory or the idea of look who I am or look what I've done, look what I've accomplished. Or maybe it's the flip of that. Maybe it's the pride of look who I'm not. Uh, sometimes that can grab our hearts too, right? Where we see something else in somebody else's life and we go, hey, uh, look, look where I am, not in terms of I feel great, or what, but I'm not there. And that also can be a form of pride. Sometimes it's, you know, better me than you or better you than me, right? Either, either way, we can play that game in our mind. And pride has an incredible ability to kind of creep in and look different in different lights and at different times. You may have seen the blooper reels, right, in sports and the whole pride thing of, of assuming that you have scored before you actually did, right? And you, you're not quite to the line yet. This happens in football, it seems to, where somebody starts to cheer before they made it and then they trip or they drop the ball or whatever it is. Uh, sometimes in our life, we have things that we think are a sure thing and we get a little prideful in that sure thing and realize it wasn't the sure thing we thought it was and it ends up biting us. And our pride and our arrogance makes us look very different than what we had hoped that we would look like, or it turns out very different. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about what pride does, and we're in the little book of Obadiah. When I started reading this little book, it's a short one chapter, and I shared with Mike, I think he makes the schedule, and I, I don't know, I think he does some messing with the schedule at times. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't say that to everybody, uh, but... But I think that that's, but Obadiah ended up mine. And as I was reading Obadiah, I'm like, really? This is what I've got. And, uh, and so I continued reading and I continued. And this week, actually, every day I would put it on and I would listen through Obadiah over and over and over again. And one of the things that kept standing out to me in this little book was the whole 
idea of pride and what happens when we're proudful. And if you've been reading it, maybe for you, some of this stood out to you. Let me, let me give you a little background so you understand about this book as we have in the past. I, I just want to help you to see where we are here. So it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. The author tells us nothing of himself. It's very interesting. There's not really much history on Obadiah. Uh, there's a number of Obadiahs that have been mentioned in different places, but we're not really sure who this one actually is. The time of this book and its writing is really hard to figure out as well. Um, we know that it's in response to an invasion of Jerusalem. And we know that the Edomites, those from Edom, are part of that invasion. Now, we know a couple things just from history. Again, what I love about Scripture is there is so much historical context that is written for us in secular writing that often it's easy for us to begin to navigate a little bit about through the time period. And with this, we know that the Edomites were never a large enough nation to attack Jerusalem on their own. And so it was one of four invasions that took place. And we're going to read a little bit about what these guys did. They were sneaky little guys. Well, I said that last week too, didn't I? It's because the book's short, people. That's why I keep going to little guys, okay? But they were sneaky, and we're going to see about that. We think that this happened when the Philistines uh, took over in Jerusalem, and they rebelled against Jerusalem, and it was around 840 BC. We're not sure, but somewhere. There was a number of rebellions that happened in about the same time. The majority of this book pronounces judgment on the nation of Edom, which is interesting, and I, I won't bore you with this, but I want to give you a little bit. There's only three of the historical books in the Old Testament that give judgment on nations other than Israel, and this is one of them. Uh, so, He's going to start and he's going to talk really just about the nation of Edom and, and what, what God is saying to them because of what they did to Jerusalem and what they did to the nation of Israel. So Obadiah is one of only three prophets who have this, this talk of judgment on other nations. Nahum and Habakkuk also are the, are the other, other two that do the same thing. Obadiah spends this, this short book giving an incredibly difficult message. And I want to do a little short note right here, okay? When you look at the Old Testament prophets and you read the books in the Old Testament, you will notice something over and over and over again. These prophets are incredibly transparent in giving a message of judgment to a people. In other words, let me put it this way, they're very upfront with the truth. They don't gloss it over they don't paint a beautiful picture and then kind of sneak the truth in on the side. They're just right up front. This is what God says will happen if you do this. Now, I find that very interesting because in the day and age we live in, the contrast is this. We live in a day and age where nobody really wants to hear the truth. They want to talk about truth, and they want to talk sideways about truth. They want to hint at truth. They want to kind of talk about some ramifications of maybe truth, but they don't really want to hear exactly how God sees things and what God thinks about things. And the moment you go down that road, then you're narrow-minded. And it's interesting because these Old, Old Testament prophets lived in a day and age not unlike ours. 
And yet God called them forth and he said, look, I need you to speak the truth and I need you to speak it incredibly loud and very direct. And I think God wants us as a church to be doing the same thing. They weren't ignorant. They weren't mean. Actually, when you read their truth through the Old Testament, you'll find that they're full of compassion for people all the time. They're always pointing them to hope. They're always pointing them to forgiveness. They're always pointing them to one who's made a way for them to be restored and renewed. So they're not being arrogant. They're not, they're not being mean-hearted or spirited when they do it. And I think God is calling the church to the same thing. And he's saying, look, you got to speak up. you got to talk about truth. you got to be up front. you got to be transparent. you got to be right out, out in the open about truth. And often we're afraid and we back away from speaking the truth. This little, this Obadiah cares for his people and he cares for the people around him. And because of it, he's willing to speak out about sin. You've seen over and over where God calls his people, the nation of Israel, back and he says, look, don't live in sin any longer. And he cares for them and he wants to draw them back and protect them. But you also see God not just doing that for the nation of Israel. And this little book is one of those books where he goes, look, I care about everybody. I want all of you to know who I am and to listen I am. So this morning, I want to make just a few observations from this book, Obadiah. And the first I want to talk to you about is when pride enters our hearts. It's found in Obadiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. If you have your Bible, I want to read these verses to you. Obadiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I say chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Your arrogant heart has deceived you, you who live in clefts of the rock in your homes on the heights who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you seem to soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, even from there I will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. Here's a nation, a group of people who had become very proud of who they were. And they had set up a a kingdom. Now, uh, understand this, that in in the nations that surrounded them, they weren't really that great. I mean, they weren't huge in terms of as a nation, but they were a good nation. They, they had a lot. They had a lot at their disposal. They, they lived well. They were in a place where they felt very, very protected. They, they were in a place where they could look at other nations and say, we're safe. We've got it together. We're secure. We've got this all together. And we're okay. And we've got our life figured out. Their pride, how great they thought they were, caused them to go down a road that they should not have gone down. Because they thought they were so great, because they thought that they, they had it all together, when they saw the, the, another nation attacking Israel, they decided, guess what? We're good enough. Let's get in on it. Let's become part of it. Let's join. And so they did. One of the truths that you need to understand this morning is this, that pride always causes us to think more of ourselves than we should. It gives us a picture of ourselves that's not really true. 
And this little nation of people who lived in their secure place, it seems that they lived in a, in a height that was hard to get at, and they seemed like they were all good, they were protected, life was good, had a picture of themselves that wasn't true. And if they had looked at themselves in light of the other nations that were around them, they would have realized they're not really all that big. Ever been there? Have we ever been there as people? Where we get a picture of ourselves, we get a, a picture in our mind of who we are, and we, we seem to be the big fish or the big frog in the little puddle that we're living in. And that's the picture that we have of ourselves. Proverbs 16, 18 says this about us. It says, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. In this book, Obadiah, God starts by saying, your arrogant heart has deceived you. Pride puts blinders on us that become an internal magnification glass, if you will. And all of a sudden, we look at our own lives and we think that we're something we're not. We see more and more of ourselves and less and less of that that, that is around us. And we think that we've got it all together and we're doing pretty good. That's the nation of Eden. Where does pride lead us? Well, let me give you a, a few more verses. Chapter 12, I mean, verse, <laughs> chapter 1, verse, see, I'm going to get really messed up. Chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, let me read them for you. Do not gloat over your brothers in the day of their calamity. This is Obadiah talking to the nation once again of Edom. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction. Do not boastfully mock in the day of distress. Do not enter my people's city's gates in the day of their disaster. Yes, you. Do not gloat over their, their misery in the day of their disaster. And do not appropriate their possessions in the day of their disaster. And do not stand at the crossroads and cut off their fugitives. And do not hand over their survivors in the day of disaster. Here's the picture that he's painting. Here's what they did. Here's what we know. This little nation, when a larger nation attacked the city of Jerusalem, this little nation, this is what I said about sneakiness. They waited till the attack happened, and then they knew that a retreat would happen, and so they went and they hid out. And in the nation's retreat, they began to collect the fugitives, and they began to cut off the people who were running away from the attack that was happening on Jerusalem. And instead of being there to help out the nation of Israel, they began to plunder the people as they left, and they realized that they're afraid and they're running. Now is the time for us to swoop in and gather all their stuff. We win! Now, I need you to understand that you may go, boy, that's wise thinking. That's smart on that little nation, right? But you're forgetting something here. Who is the nation of Edom? Somebody said I heard it. Mel was it you, Melody? Who was it? Yeah. Remember the story of Esau and Jacob, the brothers? You remember who the Israelites ultimately, right? Jacob. You remember this? His brother's Esau. Edom is from the nation. The nation comes from Esau. So 
Esau's descendants are looking at their, his brother's descendants. And when they're running away because they're being, instead of stepping in and helping out, they're like, we got them. This is it. Woohoo, they're ours. The very people that they should be stepping in to help, their pride and their arrogance is making them look at them as these are people that we can capture. These are people that we can have our way with. And God looks at him and says, no, that's not what I asked of you. That's not what I want from your heart. I want you to have a tender heart. I want you to have an open heart. I want you to look at these people who are being attacked, and I want you to be there for them. I want you to be a help to them. The Edomites were not strong enough as a nation to attack Judah alone. And so they waited till somebody else was doing it. And then like hyenas following a pride of lions. That's the picture as I read this. I was reading it over and over. And all I could picture in my mind, sorry about this, but was the Lion King. Right? The hyenas that are on the outside of the pride land. And they're waiting to pick up the scraps. And they're waiting for somebody to fall. Well, that's the picture. That's what pride does, right, to our hearts. All of a sudden, we get a picture that we're something that we're not. And when we get an opportunity to swoop in and do something that we never in the world thought we would do, we find ourselves injuring, harming, not offering a helping hand living life for us because pride made a picture in my heart that wasn't accurate. And like hyenas on the outskirts of a pride of lions, they're picking up the pieces and proud of it. Here's what Proverbs 11.2 says about this. When arrogance comes, disgrace follows. Catch that? When pride comes in our hearts, disgrace follows. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you, you allowed things to get out of hand. You allowed your heart and your mind to take you in a direction and a way that you knew you shouldn't come, you shouldn't have gone. And when you ended up finished with whatever it was you were doing and you stopped and you sat quietly as we all will, and you look back, and all of a sudden the disgrace and the guilt gets heavy because you're like, how in the world did I let myself get here. That's what he's talking about. That's the picture here that this, this prophet is writing. He's saying, look, you knew better. God had set you up. God had blessed. God blessed Esau. He, he blessed the descendants of Esau. He gave them wealth. He gave them, he told Esau, I, I'll still be here for you. I'll help you. I'll help your descendants. You'll still make a great nation. And yet they dishonored him. They dishonored him. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 say it this way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or prideful ambition or conceit. 
But in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look not on his own interests, but rather the interests of others. Do nothing out of prideful ambition or conceit. Prideful ambition, conceit, arrogance makes us look only at ourselves, what we want, what we think we need for our heart. So then, what should our attitude be? If this isn't correct, if, if Obadiah is writing this and saying, your arrogant heart, your conceited heart led you in a direction you shouldn't have gone and made you do things you should never have done, then what should our heart attitude be? First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he can exalt you at the right time. I love this. He says this, look, place yourself in humility under God and God when the time is right. You don't need to lift yourself up. You don't need to be full of pride and conceit. God will do it when the time's right. He will put you in a place of honor. Put yourself in a place of humility. Well, how? How do I do that? Well, part of it is a proper understanding of who God is. It's being in the Word of God. It's understanding the Word of God. It's getting to a place where I understand who God is. And when I understand who God is, guess what I get a picture of? Who I am. (laughs) Who I am. When I'm not looking at God, I see myself as something I'm not. When I look at God, I see myself as who I really am. Paul said, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Right? This isn't fake humility. This is not somebody going around saying, oh, I'm so horrible, I'm so lowly. That's not what it's talking about. When I get a proper perspective of God, that doesn't happen at all, actually. I understand that I'm a child of God, loved, created in his image. I'm way more than what I thought, but different, but different. Understand who God is. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. 16 says it this, live in harmony with everyone. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. That verse gave me pause. Associate with the humble. Spend time with those who are humble. Make a point to seek out humble people and live life with them. When was the last time that you purpose, purposefully looked for a humble person to just be with? What's your picture of a humble person? Maybe you haven't even thought about that. Who is a humble person that you know, that you could associate with? That you could spend, see, what we do often within our life is we look for, for people who have it together or they look like they have it. They're, they're making waves. They're successful. They're doing good things, man. They're going the direction I want to go. They have what I want. I'm headed there. And that's who we try to be around and live life with. And Romans says, no, associate with humble people because it changes your heart. 
God knows what it does to us. Humility leads us to favor or the favor of God. James 4, 6 says it this way, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Well, how do I live humbly? How do I do that? What does that look like? Well, I submit myself to God. I give myself to God. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. He says it another way. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your fellow, fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered for a little while. What does he tell us? How do we live humble? Well, we submit to God first. This is a hard word, guys. What does it mean to submit? It means to yield my spirit to. It means to take the word of God, to take what God has said to me throughout the word as I'm in it, and it's to yield my spirit to the truth of the word of God. It's to say yes to the truth of who God is. He says this, submit to God. Resist the devil. That's what I'm supposed to do. Cleanse my hands. Get before God and go, God, my heart is prideful. My mind is prideful. God, cleanse me. David said, cleanse my heart. Search me, O God, so that you could find anything that's out of whack between you and I. That's Tim's paraphrase. But that's what he wants us to do. Be sober-minded. That doesn't mean to be, to be somber all the time. That's not what it's saying. It's saying be sensibly minded. Look at your life and be sensible about how you're living your life. And then he says be alert. Be on guard. Because pride will creep in to all of our hearts. And what does God do for us? Well, if you notice that last verse I read to you, he restores us. He establishes himself in our hearts. He brings strength to us as we need it, and I need it every day. And his hand supports us in our walk with him. There is hope and freedom in the middle of our struggle with pride. There was hope for the people of Israel. Verse 17 of Obadiah, he says this, but there will be deliverance on Mount Zion, and it will be holy in other words, Obadiah says, look, the Edomites have done this to you. They were arrogant. They were proudful. And if you read that, God's going to judge. God's going to make it right. He's going to take the Edomites and he's going to deal with them. And he did, by the way, if you look at history, he already did it. That nation does not exist. And that's what he said. I will wipe you off the earth. There's hope. There's hope when we submit and we yield our spirits to the Spirit of God. He says the same thing to us. He says it this way, In Him we have redemption through His blood, 
The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, our prideful hearts, our prideful minds can be dealt with and can be restored and redeemed in the person of Jesus Christ. If you struggle with pride here this morning, amen, I do. The answer to my struggle is a relationship with Jesus. There's hope. I love it. I've got hope. There's freedom. There's freedom from my arrogant heart. And that freedom is redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ who forgives me and looks at me as completely cleansed before the Father. I love it. I love it. That God looks at me and you. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, he looks at you and says, you're free. You're forgiven. You're no longer condemned. You have hope. You have a life. I love the end of these little prophets because there's hope in every one of them where God looks at the nation of Israel and he says, look, I see your plight. I see what happened to you. I see the heart of the people who used you wrongly, and I will restore you. And he says the same thing to you and I today. I see your heart. I see your plight. I see what's gone on, and I will restore you. I will make it right. Hey, it's yours in Christ. Do you have a relationship with Christ today? Have you accepted the gift that he's given and his death on the cross for you and is living again today? Have you accept the freedom that comes from knowing him? I hope so. If not, love to chat with you. If not, you can be restored. You can be made new. Father, thank you so much for this little book. Thank you for the reminder this morning of what pride does to our hearts. And thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is the answer to the struggle we have with our own arrogance and our own conceitedness. Thank you that you are willing to restore us through Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.